Tennessee back in first place. Still in the running for a one seed. Still looking for a final four. The sky's the limit for this team. I don't know if it felt that way for the first 16 minutes of action as it was a a, a mud fest. It was a slog. <laughs> Tennessee jumped out to an early lead. And you're like, okay, let's just blow these guys out. Let's make a statement. Let's make it easy. And then A&M hit a couple threes. The next thing you know, you're fighting for your life. Like, is this really going to be one of those games like South Carolina where you just let them hang around, hang around, they get a lead, and you're just trying not to have a terrible loss? But no, no, no. At the Around the four-minute mark of the first half, Tennessee decided to hit the gas, and, and Texas A&M, well, their car couldn't go as fast. I was watching that, and all I could think about – was and they and I was texting you guys the crowd was angry I think they just came in with a vibe that you know this is payback time and the way it started it was so rough so rough and it reminded me of those videos we've seen on social media where you see uh wrestlers trying to play basketball you know that they they're kind of parody ones you know where they're like tackling each other and I mean, A&M, just watching that, the A&M experience live, it, we see it on TV to some extent, but, I mean, those guys, they're, they, I gotta, I gotta say, man, you can't say they don't play hard. They, they go after everything. I mean, they were just throwing bodies around, throwing their own bodies around. It was rough. And, I mean, the refs were not helpful either. I thought the refs were pretty pretty weak particularly in the first half but like you said John once we hit about that it was tied with four minutes to go and things kind of turned and I think Santee hitting that three at the end of the half was kind of a it was just symbolic it was kind of a dagger yeah it was a nice sweat for Tennessee first half betters at six and a half six and a half point favorites in the first half and Tennessee made that little spurt over the last four minutes. Santee capping it off with a three to go up ten. And then, yeah, came out of the gate in the second half and just absolutely annihilated them. You're right, though, Bob. The refs the refs missed the memo that this was going to be a street fight. And they came in and allowed it to be a street fight. And it led to a lot of anger and it led to a lot of fouls. I feel like there were three or four plays just in the first half where guys were hitting the floor and getting ran over. That I thought they were obvious fouls. Instead, we're leading out to – to fast break opportunities, and then the guys were getting tackled under the basket and weren't getting foul calls either. So I will say at least it felt consistent in the first half. It was one of those where one team was a little bit more aggressive coming out, Texas A&M, than Tennessee matched it, and I didn't really have any complaints with the officiating. But it did lead to a game that you thought, like, this is going to spill into a fight. This is going to spill into some technicals. This is going to spill into something bad, but – Tennessee got out so big in the second half that, you know, Texas A&M kind of waved the white flag and said, okay, never mind, not going to fight. We're just going to take our, our our whooping and head back to Texas. It got so bad, of course, that you saw the clip of, of their players just laughing on the sideline. Yeah, like, what, like, what the hell has happened here? This is what I imagine the guy was thinking because you had Cam Carr come in and have a nice little breakaway dunk, and then they cut to the Texas A&M sideline, and they're just like <laughs> – <laughs> shaking their head like what the hell just happened here is as, as Tennessee dominated Tennessee's three best players were the three best players on the court and when you have the three best players on the court you win by 35 and I know Wade Taylor was supposed to be the player of the year in the SEC I know he was supposed to be a stud 
but he was the fourth best player at best on the court on Saturday because Dalton Connect, Jonas Adu, and Zakai Ziegler were all amazing. You know, Zakai was in control. Damn near had a triple-double, 9-9 nine, nine, and 14. He dissed out 14 assists with zero turnovers. I've called him, you know, at times when he has it rolling like that, Chris Paul. Then he came out and put a Rajon Rondo stat line up, and it's like, oh, I'll score by nine points. I'll, I'll, I'll grab nine rebounds, and oh yeah, fourteen assists, zero turnovers. I'm going to set the table for all of my teammates. They made thirty-three baskets. He made three. He assisted on fourteen. So seventeen. No, I messed that math up. No, you're right. Oh yeah, seventeen. Okay, phew. Seventeen of the thirty-three. So over half. Over half. That was an all-American line for yeah. me that yeah. night. I mean, he. Uh, I'd say he'd be hard-pressed to find any point guard in the country that did what he did Saturday night. He was. Uh, he was amazing. The shooting was a little bit off. If you're going to nitpick on anything, but other than that, he was great. Um, and Wade Taylor, you're right. He was. He was a worry for about two minutes. He hit those three threes in a row, and I was like, oh, man, are we going to start this all over again? But then he vanished after that. Those are the only three buckets he had, I believe. Yep, I think you're right. You know, Zakai, you know, you said the shooting wasn't great. Three for ten from the field. I'd like to know how many of those are just misses at the rim, though. I feel like he was really struggling at the rim. And, you know, Texas a ms physicality, it wasn't like he was – Bombing and missing a bunch of threes like he did at A&M. Only one of four, but the one he did hit was so pretty. And I believe it kind of helps continue Tennessee's run of dominance and kind of help, you know, start really putting some distance between them in the second half. I don't mind if he went three for ten whenever, you know, you have 14 assists and zero turnovers and then add four steals to it. You know, at times I think his defense is a little overrated, you know, when you look at just the on-ball stuff falling for pump fakes and guys shooting over him. But when he does get a couple of those backcourt steals, they're so deflating for the opponent and they're so energizing for Tennessee that you'll live with, you know, getting shot over on a couple of those. Yeah, Buzz Williams even said it in the postgame. Um, we'll, we'll hear more from uh, Shumpert later in the show when he joins us. But he was saying, he goes, I, I think, you know, you got to understand how underrated we, we think Zakai Ziegler is just because of what he does to the just the the tempo and the vibe of the game. Just you know, he he brings it all the time. No, he's playing at a higher level than I thought he could get to. So you know, I got to take the L on that. I didn't think he could get to. Well, I mean, definitely not an All American level, but he should be. I would imagine on on first team All SEC. Maybe he gets bumped when you start adding some guys up. Maybe Taylor's still ahead of him. When you look at Sears and, and Dillingham and Reeves, like maybe it's a tight squeeze. I think he's played at a first-team level for most of the year, though. Whether or not he gets that rub, because I do think it's going to be hard for them to put three Tennessee guys on there. Right. And I do think Dalton connects a shoe in. And then I think if it comes down to Adu or Zakai, probably going to go to Adu. But I could see that... I, I could see a scenario where Zakai gets second team but wins Defensive Player of the Year just because of the stuff he does in the backcourt. But he's an all-SEC type of player, and, and I do think he's had a first-team impact. Whether or not he actually gets that that nod and that accolade is yet to be seen. But Tennessee has three of the 15 best players in the conference. And I'm not sure if it's 
15th or three of the top 10 teams or three of the top 10 players in the conference. Excuse me. You can make that argument because those three guys were awesome. And I think that, you know, they, of course, led the way for that annihilation. Dalton connects a pretty easy 24 points on 14 shots. He missed his first free throw, I believe, the front end of a one-on-one, and then came out and made his next six. He grabbed seven rebounds. He helped out down there. And then Jonas, Jonas had moments where, you know, he was where he was the best player on the court, you know, and he looked like the NBA prospect out there, and he looked like a potential all, you know, a potential SEC player of the year. That was kind of the dominant performance he had in stretches where, you know, he kind of capped it off with that really that posterization where he dunked over three A&M guys. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I was just going to bring that up. The 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 stare down he gave Henry Coleman afterwards yeah. was beautiful because, I mean, you got to believe he was getting beat up underneath and just just stuck it to him, man. It was, it was fantastic. It was said after the game that pregame Texas A&M <laughs> players were really chirping Tennessee out on the court and, you know, I guess during warm-ups and team huddles and stuff before the game that A&M was really trying to give it to Tennessee and, and talk some trash and, and that Tennessee was not playing back into it. That Tennessee, I, I guess, took the mentality of a little play do the talking. Jonas got beat up a little bit at A&M. You know, I don't, I don't know if it was all his fault, but, of course, the storyline coming out of that game was just Tennessee couldn't rebound against A&M. Tennessee got beat up. A&M was more physical than them. I can at least say that Jonas took that personally because I, I thought he played, you know, one of his best games, if not his best game of the season, of his career on Saturday. Yeah, and he was responsible for a lot of this, but him and, and Tobey, who delivered another great game, I mean, j just to your point, polar opposite from what happened in College Station. You know, this is one – A&M is one of the top rebounding teams in the country – Tennessee out rebounds them 49-31, doubles them up on points in the paint 46 to 22. Um it was it was total domination particularly in that second half. I mean, god, it was great to watch. You know, the the rebounding has a lot to do with the team defense as well. Of course, there's going to be fewer opportunities to rebound for Texas A&M on the defensive end when Tennessee shoots 52%. And, of course, Tennessee is going to have a lot of chances when your defense holds A&M to 27%. But even if you just look at the offensive glass, yeah, like, I mean, it was 10-10. to 10. On the shots that were missed, Tennessee had fewer opportunities to get the offensive rebound. They gobbled up 10 offensive rebounds on 30 missed shots. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good rate. Right. It's a pretty good rate. If you, if you go out and miss 30 shots and get a third of those uh, offensive rebounds – that's a successful night. It was just a domination. I mean, there's nothing you could say. that Those 24 minutes might be the best 24 minutes Tennessee's played all year. If you go from the four-minute mark in the first half to the you know the entire second half, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better stretch of basketball for Tennessee. Everything was clicking there. I thought of you between uh, Triple J and Santee. They had 14 points, 10 boards, 6 assists. Not bad. I'll take that. We're getting there. That's it'd be nicer to get 16, 18 points, but it's. I thought they both played pretty well. Um, Santi's still passing up shots, though. I, I don't love that, but I thought Josiah played a, a really nice game. My biggest complaint with Santi is just even the shots that he does take. Nothing seems natural anymore. It's like he's a 
a baseball player who has a hitch in his throw all of a sudden. Yeah. They can't make the throw to second base without taking like three steps. Or may- maybe he is making every throw with three steps instead of just the hard hit ball. I got to turn this double play. I'm just going to immediately fire it out to to the shortstop to try to turn this. I got to get there. Can't don't have time to think. Got to make this play. That was kind of the three point in the first half, right? It was pass. No time for the herky jerky pump fake yeah. jab step. It's catch and shoot. And made that one. Everything else is I get the ball in the perimeter and I'm going to overthink everything and I'm going to have six different moves instead of either A, keeping the ball moving with a swing pass, B, drive, or C, fire up a shot. It's I'm going to jab step, jab step, pump fake, sidestep. Okay, now I'm going to pass. That's my biggest complaint with Santee. I'm fine if he goes up there and has four four three-point attempts. I'm fine if he has five shots if it all seems natural. It's when it doesn't seem natural. That it bothers me. And in, in, in the first half, especially for the first 16 minutes, Bob, it didn't feel natural for him. No. Nothing's felt natural for him all season, really. <clears throat> Few and far between. Sam, what were your thoughts on the game? We haven't heard from you yet. Yeah, I mean, I think it was the big men to me personally. I think, you know, you, you obviously go back to the matchup at College Station, and, I mean, they, they kicked your ass on the board straight up. And so I think having that performance from, from Adu and Awaka is massive. I think you – you go back two weeks ago and your big men combined for 11 points and eight boards. And then on Saturday, you get a combined 30 points and 20 boards from those two. So I think that's just a, a massive reason why this Tennessee team oh. looked unstoppable. Hold on, hold on, hold on. First game, they had what, 11 and 8? 11 and 8 combined, yeah. and they had 30 points and 20 rebounds on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, there's the story of the mm-hmm. game. I didn't fully realize that was when we kind of just flushed, right? Whenever yeah. you got your. When you got dominated like that by AM, I told you, I was like, I usually I go back and watch these on Sunday to get another gri- you know, grasp on the game and look for some things, knowing what happened. I didn't even bother that with the AM game. I was like, the story there was clear. You just got pumped. So I don't know if I fully realized it was that bad where two guys who are very capable of having 11 points and eight rebounds themselves, right? Like yeah. for them to combine there, you know, then you have, you know, Jonas have 18 and 14. On Saturday, just by himself, mm-hmm. a walk in seventeen minutes has twelve points and six rebounds. So he almost equaled, you know, the the cumulative output by himself in seventeen minutes. So yeah, that, that's that's the story of the game: thirty and twenty. And you know, you get that just by going home and having a little bit more energy from the crowd, but you also get that because you've been thinking about it for two weeks. I think you could tell how big of an emphasis just rebounding was on this week. I mean, I texted in that game, like, when Tobe had that big board that got Polinski out of his seat on the sideline. Like, I think there were multiple plays during that game where the coaching staff was just proud of the effort on the boards. We're probably talking about the same one, but I let out an audible, whoa! Yes, I think we actually... When he came flying out. Yes, you gotta be, you gotta be. Polinski was out of his seat a lot in this game. I mean, he was actually working the refs a little. He was... uh, he was definitely – any guy came off the, the floor, he was just jacking him up, you know, really talking to him and, you know, patting him on the behind and everything else. He was active. He Shout mentioned out to our he, boy G-Rag, bringing the energy. Yeah. yeah. Bringing the funk. Firing he mentioned up, that he's got to do a better – uh, At he, Food City Center. He said he's got to do a better scouting report, so I wonder if he kind of took that one personally from two weeks ago, you know. Maybe. I don't like, know hey, if I he wanna... had the A&M game two weeks ago. I know he said he had them this upcoming week. I would imagine that means he did have them on Saturday because I think they said they just rotate. Like one one on one on one yeah, off one type on, of one thing. Off. So, you know, I would say he probably did take that personally. And 
Well, maybe at the same time, Sammy looked at that and said, hey, it wasn't the game plan, Coach True. Barnes. True. It wasn't the problem. <laughs> we'll just execute better this time. Yeah, it wasn't like we didn't. We, we knew we had to rebound. It's just we didn't do it. We got pumped. But don't worry. We're going to make sure we do that this time. And 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 they did. They did. Like I said, they, they grabbed up a third of their misses. That's all you kind of need to know. That was the effort they had. 50 total rebounds compared to AM's 33. Like I said, you know, one team had a whole bunch of misses, the other didn't, so the rebounding opportunity is going to be better there. But like I said, even if you just look at the, the offensive rebounds in, alone, Tennessee matched the physicality if didn't, if not exceed it. I thought it was a solid game. Uh, like I said, I, th- I think it was 24 minutes that Tennessee had ending the first half and the entire second half was about as good as you could play as a basketball team. It was 24 to 24. You won by 35. You kind of understand why the Texas A&M player is kind of shaking his head laughing when you look at it that way. 865-546-8200 if you want to weigh in on the beatdown. 865-546-8200. We'll continue the conversation after the break on Fan Run Radio. Back in the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. Only 100 calories on those delicious little White Claws. That picks me up a 12-pack of just the black cherry. That's my move. You can keep the lime and mango and stuff. I had some peach out on the course. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. It is nice whenever you can good. just grab a couple of those when you're out actually in the sun. Back in my day, Sam, you didn't have those yeah. at the pool. No. You didn't have those at the pool, and I don't drink beer. So my pool days when I was your age used to be either taking all the sugar from the straw burritas or just pounding liquor and pounding liquor out in the heat. Not a great idea. Not a great idea. Neither one of those were good ideas because the, the straw burritas, you'd get the big jumbo ones. And then by the time you finished one, you, you're having a, you know, going into a coma, a diabetic coma. So I know I talk about White Claw a lot, but I, I do drink it. I do appreciate it. It is a nice Nice thing to have. The only thing that existed back in the day was uh, Zima's. You ever heard of Zima's? Yeah, no, I remember Zima's from when I was younger. I think Zima's, I might even try a couple of those. You know, first time you try to drink when you're like 17 or 18, whenever you're you're breaking the law and trying to test these out. I was like, "Ah, nope, gross, I'm good. Yeah, those are gross now if you look back at those. uh, The the stuff out there now, like White Claws, are, are tasty. Actually, I don't even know if I had a Zima. Maybe those went away by the time I was actually 16 or 17. But there were there were the Mike's Hard Lemonades and those things that similar. I don't know if I actually had a Zima, but I, I do remember them. Yeah. I don't remember when they went away, but I know they came back. But I do appreciate White Claw Hard Seltzer for their support and for keeping Sam standing up on the golf course. Because if you were out there just drinking liquor, the golf game would have gotten a lot worse. Mm-hmm. Tennessee finds himself in first place, Bob. Kentucky. Did the job for us. Kentucky, Big Blue Nation came through. C-A-T-S, cats, cats, cats. I can at least give them that after they dominated Alabama. Embarrassed Alabama. Shot 63% from the field for the game. Had 100 points at the 7.5-minute mark. I mean, that was uh, 
again, I had some other stuff going on in the afternoon. I, I started watching that game with about five minutes to go in the first half, and it was still relatively tight at that point. But, my God, man, Kentucky, that was good Kentucky. We saw it there. Just don't know what you're going to get with them these days. I mean, obviously, they were good Kentucky against Auburn and then had a had a letdown against LSU, but they were uh, – Came, came back to good Kentucky in the nick of time for Vols fans. And how about Nate Oates basically just saying in his postgame presser, I mean, I guess give him credit for self-awareness. He was like, hey, everybody knows we do, we, we're bad at defense. We don't guard anybody. <laughs> it was like – and he was saying it like that's who we are. I'm not – kind of like not, not to the tune of we're going to work on that. It was like, <laughs> yeah, it just didn't go well today. They haven't fared well when they've played a top offense. Like, if, if they play an offense with a pulse, they are most likely going to lose. That's what's happened to them so far. You know, outside of, I guess, they were able to, to outlast and outscore Florida, who is playing like a top offense, you know, recently. But any, any other time, if they're going to play a top offense, they are going to struggle. That's how bad their defense is. Like, their defense is not serious. And I can't buy them as a serious threat because of that. Like, I'm going to have the utmost confidence of tennis in, in Tennessee when they go to Tuscaloosa this weekend just because Alabama's bringing the 97th-ranked defense. They're 3-8 and eight against teams with a top 40 Kim Palm offense and 16-0 yeah. and 0 against everybody else. Yeah. 3-8, and eight, do you know what the three wins are? Because, I mean, I know one uh, of them is Florida. Look. Yeah, I can look. And that was a home game. But, like, when they go to Florida coming up, like, I don't expect them to be able to beat Florida at Florida because they can't defend, and Florida can score. You know, Florida's a top-20 offense. The other thing I didn't mention, Alabama shot 57% from the field yeah. and still lost by 22 points. Well, then they ended up with how many points? 95. Yeah, I mean, if you tell me they're going to shoot the way they did and hit as many threes as they did and scored 95 points, yeah, I mean – Almost any college basketball team in any scenario is going to win that game. Like, that, that's an outlier because of, I mean, obviously the pace and the lack of defense. But, yeah, I mean, not, college basketball teams don't usually score 95 points. So, you would think that would be enough to get it done. Not only did it not get it done, they got embarrassed. They scored 95 points and got embarrassed. They were down 37 at one point. 37 points. I did notice during that blowout they still had Mark Sears in there trying to get him some stats. Oh yeah, trying to get him a trying to give him a little stats. I did notice that because I would have waved the white flag a lot sooner than that if I was Nate Oates. I mean, literally, he was in with like about a minute to go. Yeah, I mean, he played to the bitter end. I don't know if that yeah. was a him trying to send a message of like, hey, you, you guys embarrass me. I'm going to make sure that you feel it and you're embarrassed and you're going to keep competing and blah blah blah. But like, at a certain point, you got to. Wave the white flag. He's lucky he didn't get an injury out there. Do you have the four wins, Sam, or are you? Um, the only three two, wins, the, I guess. Yeah, I've seen. I, I think it's or I'm, I think it's Florida and Auburn as the other. Yeah, Auburn's got the fifteenth um, ranked offense. Okay. I can't find the other here. Okay. And both of those are at home. Both of those wins are at home. Well, that doesn't make me feel great about you know Tennessee going there. What what were the point totals? I mean, I know Florida. Yeah, those were, Florida should have won that game. Florida should have won. Two of those wins were by a combined nine points at home. So they beat 
Auburn seventy nine to seventy five. Okay. And then they beat Florida ninety three ninety eight ninety three. In overtime. Yeah. Yeah. Again, they should have lost. Okay, so both both of those could have been opposite. Although I do remember like Alabama was up pretty big on Auburn. Auburn came back if I remember correctly. I think you're right. That's what happens when you can't play defense. Yeah, they were up fourteen at half against Auburn. So Tennessee has a upcoming schedule that's really tough. You know, I think I saw on the broadcast, they said it was the eighth toughest schedule in the country down the stretch. Are you worried about the schedule? Because I've always looked at it all year as a more so as an opportunity. I don't know if it's because, you know, you get Auburn and Kentucky at home. The fact I'm not scared of going to South Carolina and that, you know, the the Alabama game, it, it's it doesn't intimidate me either. I think Tennessee has played fairly well at Alabama the last couple of years. And I don't know if they've necessarily won, but you, know, you go back to the game that Fulkerson missed a couple of years ago where, where Tennessee should have won that game. I feel like they haven't been afraid of going to Tuscaloosa. Bob, are you looking at this as a – daunting task or as an opportunity oh i think it's definitely an opportunity i am uh, mostly concerned about the two saturday games um i'm not for some reason i don't expect tennessee to just roll through auburn on wednesday they may but uh, again auburn's a little hobbled with jalen williams out if tennessee can't get up for that game going up against bruce um I, I, I think that's a win, um, and I think South Carolina's a win. Alabama does still worry me. I just I do think they can get they can get up for that game on Saturday night, and then Kentucky you just don't know what to expect. I mean, Cal, you know, game's going to matter to Cal, I would think, just because it's against his buddy and Bruce, or uh, Barnes has kind of had the upper hand on on Cal too. So, but but all in all. I would love to see them go 4-0. I think we all would, obviously. but And I think it's possible. I really do. I just I don't have, you know, 100% confidence, namely about that Tuscaloosa game. But when we see what we just talked about with Alabama's lack of defensive capabilities, defense travels. Our guys can play it. They can't. If the offense can just deliver to a degree of like what they did against A&M, even if it's 80% of that, they could win that game. I think that 3-1 and one still wins you the SEC. I think after, you know, Kentucky did you the solid this weekend, that 3-1 and one's probably going to get it done for you, even if you lose to Alabama, because I think they have a loss at Florida looming. Okay, yeah. And if they lose at Florida, almost assuredly if Tennessee goes 3-1, and one, even with a loss to Alabama, they would still win the tiebreaker. Because I think South Carolina's got some losses left and that Auburn should really only lose to us. So if Auburn's a three seed in the SEC tournament or Florida's a three seed or, or even Kentucky, Tennessee should be in good shape there when it comes to the tiebreaker. So I think 3-1 and is going to get it done. 3-1 and one, get you a two seed locked in three and one might even have you in the mix for a one seed. Although I think at this point four and oh is kind of what you need to get on in, into that consideration, at least a, a realistic consideration. 
Back to Alabama real quick. I think also we need to keep an eye on Wednesday night. Uh, they're going to Ole Miss. And, and Ole Miss is not as good as Alabama, but they're, they're playing for their lives now. I mean, they are on the bubble at best. And they, maybe they could do us a solid, too. Has it been officially announced about suspension? Uh, you know, their player had that. Oh, Flanagan. That, Flanagan had that wicked elbow across someone's face. You got to believe something's coming. I would think that that might be a suspension for the rest of the year, honestly. That was at least, brutal. At least a regular season because that that was every bit of a punch. Yeah. That was every bit of a punch where he takes that elbow and just swings it, makes pretty good contact with it. At the very minimum, it's going to be a one-game suspension, so he won't play in the game against Alabama. But, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it's very possible Alabama slips up. I would imagine not after the way they got embarrassed by Kentucky. I, I, would, I would imagine that they come out focused and really trying to prove something. And they've, of course, lost their, their margin for error when it comes to the, the title race. But you wanted to get to these last four games, or at least I did. Yeah. And you're here. You're in first place. 15-3 and three will win you the conference outright. 14-4 and four should still win you a share of the conference and the one seed in the tournament. That's kind of what we thought all season, right? That's what we got from the first episode or the first week where we talked to, to Stats by Will. He said 15-3. and three. Then we kind of moved it to 14-4 and four is going to get you a share. And that's where we're – we're looking as we get set for this final two-week push. Is this possibly the two the the most important two-week stretch in the program's history? The fact that they've got a shot at a one seed. In regular season, of course, only correct. I would imagine there's been times where a one seed was at least on the table for other teams. You know, like the two-week stretch where Tennessee became number one for the first time and then turned around and lost to Vandy, uh, maybe up there as well. I want to say, did the Grant Admiral team not have a, a chance where they had a, uh, could have played into a one seed? I feel like they did. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But to be – or to your point, Bob – it's it's in the conversation. I mean, it might the, be it might be the answer. I mean, like when you look at the SEC title in the mix as well, four quad one games remain in the in the timing of it. You know, it's right here at the end. It's, right to, to end the season too. Yeah, like you said to to get here your final two weeks. Everything's right ahead of you. An SEC championship, a one seed, locking in another regular season in the top five. It's as big as it gets. I don't know if I can call it the biggest in history just because I'm not equipped with all that knowledge. But the fact that you asked that and we don't immediately push back with three other things that are bigger, it, it proves the point. It's a rhetorical question. Exactly. It's gigantic. And that's why I've had it circled all year. I want to get to this point. You got, you know, the, two of your biggest rivals coming in to Knoxville. You're going to Alabama. And the South Carolina game that was once thought as a throw-in, it's a revenge game. It's a game you want to win now. Especially, like, after Tennessee showed you what they do in revenge games. I want to see if they keep that same energy when they head to Columbia. They had a chance to get revenge for a loss on Saturday. And, 
Boy, did they. <laughs> like, I want them to go in there and take it as personally when they go to South Carolina. As we sit here on Monday, Sam, what's your prediction for these next four games? What's the record? I think three and one. Um, I'd love to say four and zero, oh, but I, I just think you drop one. You've just got so many tough ones there. I do. I do feel very confident in in Auburn, and I feel pretty solid about Alabama, just because they can't they can't defend like we're saying. But that Kentucky matchup at the end of the year still is is kind of looming large to me with with how they're playing recently. So is Kentucky the win loss that you think right now? I think so. Yeah. But I even think if to your point. That'd be disappointing. It would be, but if they even if they lose that one and we beat Alabama, then I think we still we have it right. We have yeah, the you tie would, break. Yeah, I think you, you you could go into that game with the SEC championship wrapped up. That may cost you a shot at the one seed, maybe, but right. And that's what you know. Of course, losing to Kentucky anyway is yeah. is always a missed opportunity. You want as many wins against them as possible. You want Barnes to have as good of a record against them as possible. You want them to kind of wallow in their misery not give them the satisfaction of getting their lick back. Although, yeah, if, you, if you're 3-0 and heading into that one, on one hand, it's like, okay, that's fine. Let's get a loss. Let's reset. Let's go into postseason mode, re-energize, refocus. We're still champions. On the other, like Bob said, you, you maybe throw the one seat away if that was the case. Would I lock that in, 3-1 and one with the one loss against Kentucky? Probably just because it gives you the SEC championship. And ultimately, I don't think the, the difference between a one and a two seed is hugely detrimental. I, mean, I guess it depends on who you get matched up with, but still, I think I'll be okay with that. Bob, as we sit here on Monday, what's your prediction over the last four games? I think it's three and one. I think it's three and one. Um, I am of the belief that if they beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa, that's that's where I think they may falter. And if they beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa, I think they go four and zero. I really believe it. So you think that's that's the game you're worried about? Is the game at Alabama? I mean, that's the one. Yeah. That's the only one where you're going to be underdogs. Now I do think that you're going to be very slight underdogs in that game. Yeah. Within three points. Because we we don't like him, but Oates has probably turned in. You could argue this may be his best coaching job. I mean, the, the, at Alabama at least, uh, he'll have him ready. I really believe that. Now, will they have enough to hold off Tennessee? That's the part I don't know. I certainly hope they don't. But um, I think he's going to throw everything he can offensively at Tennessee because they sure as hell can't play D. Um, and now, I, the more I start thinking about it, it's that whole reverse psychology thing we were talking a moment ago about in the off chance that Ole Miss takes them down in Oxford. Probably won't happen, but if it did, there's no way Oates and Alabama will just kind of free fall. They'll, they'll be even more wound up for that game uh, against Tennessee on Saturday. So I think that's the one that worries me the most, for sure. Uh, Kentucky's going to be a tough game. I, I I have no doubt that that's going to be the case, but I think Tennessee can prevail there. Sounds like we're going three and one with the loss to South Carolina. Then, if that's the case, <laughs> I was just looking at some of the history against Alabama. You know, we over the past couple of years, they've uh, the the only win we've had is 
last year. And well, in this year, of course. But I mean, uh, the, if you go back the last couple of years, they've we've had close games with them. We've always played them closely, but uh, they've they've had our number more more than we've had theirs. So, uh, God, I hate Nate Oates. I just want to win. Well, we kicked their ass in Knoxville the last two years. Now we got to go do it on the road. Yep. But first, you got Auburn coming up. We don't overlook that because you know Bruce is going to be licking his chops, salivating, wanting some gravy, and also wanting a win in Knoxville to kind of spoil Tennessee's oh yeah season to an extent. Hour one of the books. We'll kick off hour two with some headlines that you might have missed over the weekend. Stick with us. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Ryan Schumper, Rocky Top Insider, joining us now for a little read and react. Ryan, top of the morning to you. Good morning. Appreciate you guys having me on. Tennessee absolutely dominated Texas A&M over the final 24 minutes. Was that Tennessee's best stretch of basketball this season, or is there another game that stands out to you? You know, the Alabama game stands out as well, but I think when you talk about a specific stretch, I mean, you said it there with 24 minutes. It was 62 to 27 in those final uh, 24 minutes of the game. So just pure stretch. I don't think Tennessee's played any better than that against any opponent of any consequence at all. Uh, so maybe not the best game given how Texas A&M was playing. Obviously, Tennessee played really well, but the Aggies came into that one struggling um, and kind of, cling for her life to make the NCAA tournament. But pure stretch of basketball, 20, 15, 24 minutes, I don't think Tennessee's played any better than that. Do you have a lot of confidence that that carries over over these final two weeks, or is that just kind of a perfect night against an overwhelmed opponent and you're looking for revenge? Does it give you confidence that Tennessee is peaking and playing their best basketball, or are you saying you got to wait and see? I'd kind of say wait and see. I mean, that's kind of the nature of – college basketball i mean heck on whatever night it was tuesday or wednesday tennessee goes to missouri and struggles for 25 minutes so uh, i think you knew tennessee was going to be charged up and ready for that game after losing in college station two weeks prior um and, and certainly like I, I mentioned a minute ago and has been struggling pretty badly so it not that i saw 35 points coming but a, a pretty healthy win felt like it was in the cards coming in and i, I mean i think you got to feel good about Tennessee as a whole going into these final two weeks, but I don't, it doesn't necessarily make me think they're playing their best basketball right now either. Morning, Ryan. There's something I'd love to get your take on, and it's regarding Zakai Ziegler. So obviously, ZZ had what I was calling earlier in the show an all American line on Saturday night. Just a, a wonderful game. But I also saw in some of the postgame coverage where um, you know Barnes talked about that he took Zakai aside after the Missouri game, talked about you know how he wasn't happy with his performance against Missouri, and it took me back to I think it was after the first Texas A and M game in College Station where Barnes had the same kind of heart to heart with Zakai about I think at that point about taking charge and being the leader on the team. I guess my question for you, since you cover this team so closely, is um, Zakai is a resilient kid, obviously, and he does step up in some big moments. But is it? Do you think it's one of these deals where he kind of constantly he's going to have to have Barnes in his ear, just you know, 
continuing to push buttons on him saying, I need you to, to do more. I, I'd love to see him string together multiple games like this. He's done it before, but it feels like it's been a little hit and miss as of late. Well, it was actually the South Carolina game was the the first conversation you're referencing. Right. Right. That's that's what it was after. You know, I don't know. Maybe there's there's something to that. I think with it being South Carolina, it's a little bit longer stretch. I mean, I think you're talking about a about a probably about a one month stretch, and I think it's more that I see him more as you know Rick puts a lot on his point guards, and he always has, and. I think he knows that Zakai can handle it, and Zakai is typically someone that bounces back from bad performances, and he's not going to be someone that can't take a lot of harsh criticism uh, from his coach. So I take it more as that, and just saying Zakai has some normal inconsistency that most players who aren't elite college basketball players have, even you know just really good players like Zakai. Um, so I look at it more that way, but you know maybe there's there's something more to that as well. Moving forward, next four games, you know, this is the championship stretch. That's what I've kept calling it for the SEC title. Then, of course, you get into the conference tournament and then the NCAA tournament. We're trying to make our prediction for the next four games. Both Bob and Sam are at three and one. Where would you have Tennessee at over the next four games? Yeah, I'd go three and one as well. I kind of feel like the the Ken Palm predictions, you know, they had those in there and you know, it might pick a team to win all four games and then say, overall, it's more likely to go 3-1. and one. I think that's kind of where I'm at. I, you know, I look at every matchup on its own, and I kind of like Tennessee in every matchup. I think they'll hold serve and win both games at home. Uh, I think they'll go win at South Carolina. Uh, obviously, South Carolina got a big win on Saturday at Ole Miss, bounced back from a bad week. But I, I just still think Tennessee is the far superior team, and I think you kind of talk about – the revenge aspect uh, that was working in Tennessee's favor at A&M. And the Alabama game, I just I think Tennessee's better. I think it's a pretty good matchup for Tennessee. I think we've seen Tennessee play really well against these fast-paced teams that struggled defensively. Um, but at the same time, going into Tuscaloosa and winning is a very hard thing. I mean, no one's – I guess Clemson did it way back in you know the first week of December in the challenge, but nobody in the SEC has done it, I think, in the last two years. Uh, so it's a really hard task. Alabama has been much better there, and I think when you just combine it with the fact that all the, all four games uh, are losable, particularly the two on the road, I think probably three and one's most likely. Yeah, I like the way you put that because I do think Tennessee, in my mind, is is favored in all four games. Now I think when the actual gambling line comes out, like Alabama is going to be favored, but I've liked that matchup all year. So I mean, like uh, I do. In a vacuum, each game, I do think Tennessee wins. But like you said, if you start looking at, well, it's a 70% chance they win this one and a 65% chance they win this one and 55%, you start adding those up and you're like, yeah, three and one's probably the likely outcome there, which I think should be good enough to win the SEC because I do have a lot of confidence in Florida beating Alabama at Florida. Do you agree or disagree with that? Oh, completely agree. I mean, if you go three and one and beat Alabama, I think you're going to win it outright. Honestly, because yep. uh, I think Alabama's going to lose that game at Florida. Just they've struggled away from home, and to me, Florida's playing about as well as anybody in the conference right now. Um, so, yeah, I would agree with that. And if you lose to Alabama, which again, I still think the most likely loss, you, you probably still get a share, and will almost certainly have the tiebreaker and be the one seed in Nashville. Hey, I think 
and I think this was purely situational these last couple of games, but we have seen it happen two games in a row where we've seen Jonas Adu and Tobey Awaka on the floor together at the same time. Um, and it's worked the last couple of games. We, we didn't talk about this today, but we have talked about it on past shows where uh, John and I, we're not sure how we feel about that for the long term, you know, uh, because it does work from time to time. But it, do you think that this is a trend that Coach Barnes might be getting back into that, that you know, because I, I think it slows things down a little bit sometimes, too. But it has clearly worked two games in a row. Uh, do you think that that's more of a trend, or do you think that's something they'll be off of because of the types of teams they're getting ready to play with Auburn and with Alabama? Well, I certainly don't think you're going to see it in the Alabama game, and maybe with Jalen Williams seemingly going to be out for the game on Wednesday, too, it's probably less likely you see it against Auburn, too. But, no, I mean, I think kind of from the same point of view that you're phrasing it, we know we know Rick likes to run that two-big lineup, and he's gotten a little taste of it, and it's worked pretty well. Um, and, you know, I think mainly it's worked well from a matchup standpoint. Those were two matchups that, you know, made it – very plausible to do, and the fact that Tobey's playing better. So I think we may see it some. I kind of be surprised if we see it much this week. I especially don't think we'll see it at Alabama. Um, but even if we do, I don't think we're necessarily going to see it for the extended minutes uh, like we did in both the A&M and particularly the Missouri game when what they ran at basically the final 15 minutes of the game. Right. Yeah, I guess I should say, or at least clarify, we said if you go 3-1, and one, you win the SEC outright. That's if you take care of business on Wednesday against Auburn, because if you lose that game, 3-1 and one all of a sudden doesn't get you the outright title if Auburn's able to run the table. And quite frankly, Auburn's schedule really weak. Like, if Auburn's able to beat Tennessee, they're kind of in pole position because they play Mississippi State at Mizzou and Georgia. So I know we're talking a lot about Alabama, but this Auburn game is gigantic on Wednesday. Yeah, you're right. It's I think that's maybe Vanderbilt's one of the teams. They're, Auburn's it's going to take a massive upset for them to lose a game besides Tennessee on Wednesday. But yeah. I don't know. I, I just feel good about Tennessee's chances in it. Uh, I just have a hard time seeing Auburn having the guard play uh, to come in into Tennessee and win. But at the same time, I mean, Johnny Broom's the type of guy that's given Tennessee issues. And I think kind of tying the two points together, that's got to be the somewhat encouraging thing about how a walk has played better um, over the last week or two weeks of the season is it gives you another body to be able to throw at him uh one of those elite big men that obviously we've seen tennessee lose a handful of games to teams that have those guys earlier this season auburn has fared really well against tennessee you know in recent history bruce has the better of barnes when you look at that matchup but i am i am feeling a good three for 14 shooting performance from from kd johnson coming up yeah. on wednesday i'm rubbing my hands just thinking about it now <laughs> yeah that that sounds about right and you're right. I mean, I, I feel like Bruce always has a really good plan to take away Tennessee's best player. I mean, I go back and think of those Grant Williams games, but it's just harder to game plan for a guy like Dalton Connect because of the fact that he's so versatile and can do so many different things. Um, and I think Tennessee has a few more answers this year than they've maybe had in past seasons. And, and then you're right. I mean, that's with any coach, there's the good with the bad. And I think the bad with, with Bruce is how much he lets his, his guards kind of free play and uh, and once again, I think he's got a team that he shouldn't be letting the guards free play as much as much as he does. Yeah, by my count, Tennessee two and seven over their last nine games against Auburn. Have won two of the last three, but yeah, two and seven over the last nine. So Bruce has had Barnes's number. I gotta admit, I'm a little fascinated when I watch Katie Johnson. It's just like watching, you know, 
like a 12-year-old out there well, playing. Well, he looks like a 12-year-old, but he also looks like one of those, like, doo-wop singers from the 60s that could have been, like, 28 and and looking 50. I don't know what I think KD Johnson looks like, but I, I am fascinated by him, and I do like watching him play whenever I'm rooting against Auburn because he's almost always going to do something <laughs> bad. Talking with Ryan Shumpert, RockyTopInsider.com. Any thoughts on the baseball team coming out of the weekend? Any new any new situations, new players breaking out, any new developments, I guess I should say, in terms of what happened this weekend? Yeah, I'll do my best not to ramble too much on this. I mean, A.J. Russell pitches just three innings on Friday in excess with some soreness. It sounds like it's a side strain for him, so I don't think overly serious, not, you know, you heard soreness in the post-game press conference, and obviously with a pitcher in baseball, there was some immediate concerns. So he'll take a few days off. I'd be surprised if he's out there this weekend, um, and he'll probably target Illinois in a worst-case have him back for SEC play. Probably not the worst thing in the world for a guy that's going to have a, a very large increase in workload this season. And obviously Tennessee's pitching staff, Jill, trying to figure out that third weekend starter so it gives them another weekend opportunity to kind of mess around with uh, against Bowling Green if that proves to be the case. And then uh, at the plate, I mean, Robin Villeneuve, the junior college transferred from, I believe, Weatherford College down in Texas. Uh, he's a Quebec native, uh, a very interesting guy. And, I mean, he continues just to rake. He had another huge weekend um, and is going to make it pretty hard for Tony Vitello to take him out of the lineup. So uh, a lot of that stuff with the outfield competition competition in the designated hitter spot to me remains really curious as I think Vitello said it uh, they have the best depth at the position player spots that they've had since he's been there when you talk to Tony Vitello the next time can you can you ask him what he thinks about Dalton Bargo's speed because that was my takeaway from the weekend is that guy's not very fast but he thinks he's fast (laughs) yeah I mean I think he had an attempted stolen base at one point I mean that's you know that I a lot of times these early season games, they blend in so much with the inter-squad scrimmages you watch. And there's so many times in the inter-squad scrimmages where it's like, why in the world is that person trying to steal a base? And most of the time, I think they're trying to put the pressure on the catchers uh, on their own team. And He looked like yeah, he had was, a piano there's... on his back yesterday whenever he tried to stretch out a, a double. He got thrown out by five feet. I'd never seen such a thing. Yeah, that was uh, a little Lindsey Nelson Stadium take of away when he smokes a double off the right field wall. And it, it's so so short out there and the right fielder plays it well and he's about halfway to the to second base when he gets thrown out so uh yeah this team's got a lot of strengths i don't think speed is going to be uh, a major one so we'll see how aggressive they'll be on the base pass and that might not be a bad thing this uh tennessee teams in the past have sometimes gotten a little little over aggressive uh, and made some some dumb outs that way Hey Ryan, what are your thoughts on Dean Curley at this point? I mean, he had some uh, he had some big games. He had one against CTSU. He had a and he, he got a, f- a fair amount of run. It looked like in the Albany series. I'm just trying to get a feel for some of these younger guys where they're where you th- think they may fit into the lineup on you know more of a regular or everyday basis. Well, I think what stands out about Curley is just physically how how well built he is for a freshman and how good he's been defensively at the shortstop spot. And he's you know, he's hit a couple home runs. Uh, I wouldn't say his average or his consistency at the plate has been great, but he's a guy that, you know, looks the part, seemingly is, fits in well. I think the question becomes, you know, he's clearly, you know, he missed the first weekend with a hamstring injury. I think he's clearly ahead of Bracky Lowry, who started the three games. I think it was all three games over in Arlington. The question becomes an area Antigua, uh, another freshman gets back from 
a hand injury that he's dealing with, which should be before too long, at least before SEC play starts. How do those two guys uh, kind of figure out that spot? And can Curley play so well in these next week, week and a half or so before Antigua gets back that he's won the job and it's going to be very, very difficult for Antigua to unseat him? And I think that'll just depend on what he can do at the plate because Antigua are a really, really good defensive shortstop. RockyTopInsider.com, a lot of Tennessee news. Tennessee versus the NCAA, we haven't even discussed that yet. The baseball team looks like they are, you know, Omaha good. The basketball team looks like they can go to a Final Four. The football team looks like they can be a college football playoff team. Some exciting times on Rocky Top. And they got you covered, RockyTopInsider.com. Ron, anything special you're working on this week? Uh, I should have a piece out later this week, just kind of how Josiah and Dalton have benefited from playing with with one another, uh, probably on Thursday or Friday. So be on the lookout for that. But besides that, just chugging along with Tennessee, or plenty of Tennessee basketball and baseball. Can you give me a little bit of a sneak peek on that? Is it Josiah saying, hey, it's nice to have Dalton because people don't get mad at me when I don't shoot and don't score? <laughs> well, this is uh, this is a story that's had to pivot a little bit. It was pitched, I think, right before SEC play, um, and obviously Josiah went ahead to you know he was shooting forty percent from three at that point. He went ahead to shoot like one of twenty four to start SEC play. So uh, you know, kind of Tennessee. Some of it is that Tennessee not asking as much out of Josiah uh, offensively, and then Josiah kind of taking a lot of the pressure uh, off of Dalton on the defensive end of the court as well. It's going to be. Uh... It's hard to believe we're closing in on senior day here pretty soon. It's This is going to be a, a special one with Josiah, Santee, Dalton Connect, you know, all moving on. It's uh, it's going to be a little, little bittersweet, honestly. Yeah, Dalton's going to be, you know, one where you talk about you don't have many one-year guys that make the impact that he, he has made, and not just from on the court, because obviously occasionally you get a one-and-done that's really good, like Kennedy Chandler, but – uh, from a guy to come in and, you know, feels like he's really embraced Tennessee and Tennessee's really embraced him. And, I don't know, it'll obviously depend on how these final two weeks of the regular season and the NCAA tournament go. But it feels like if Dalton keeps playing the way he has been playing and Tennessee makes a run in March, I mean, I think Dalton could be remembered as a, kind of a favorite vol for for this generation, which would be pretty crazy for a dude that it was just going to be here for one season. No, you're 100% correct about that. He, he is stamped as a Tennessee legend already. You know, with still some work to do. He could take that to a completely different stratosphere, you know, if this team has the success that they can have. You're 100% right about that. It does hit different than the freshman one-and-dones. Like, Dalton going to have more love and fanfare than Chandler and, like, Tobias, you know, who are both one-and-done yeah. guys. I think you're right about that for sure. All right, Ryan, yeah, and- thank you for your time. You got any thoughts on that or – no, you got okay, it. Yeah. Appreciate you, Ryan. Talk to you next Monday. RockyTopInsider.com. Appreciate you as always. Yeah, of course. Appreciate you guys having me on. I mean, yeah, I think he is spot on. This team is going to have a crazy senior night because you had some guys who were here for a really long time and at some points felt like they maybe overstayed their welcome. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've seen plenty of fans saying, ah, you know, if Santee's not going to shoot, he should have just not came back and – Oh, we could have done better without Josiah. Where's Chris Ledlam, of all people? You got, you got people pining for a guy who is getting called fat by his coach up at St. John's. People are like, oh, I wish we had him instead of Josiah. So, I mean, like, you have two guys who, 
have had some really, really good times and have had some bad times. And then you got Dalton Connect, who has come in, you know, guns blazing for one year and going to leave as a legend. And as as Ryan said, one of the more beloved players of this generation. There's going to be a lot of kids growing up who Dalton Connect is their favorite ball of all time. Right. It's It's gone so fast compared to, think of uh, just a year ago, the Tyreek Key senior year was like – just kind of trudged along this one feels like you know again it's like every week passes like oh my god he's gonna be gone in a couple games you know it's it's tough i yeah, hate it tyreek key did not get legend no status in one season that, that is true although he did that casey's pizza commercial that was kind of legendary and the gonzaga exhibition they the can't Gonz- they can't take away the pizza or the gonzaga exhibition he gave us hope didn't he for a second which is even crueler than never giving it to us at all exactly Exactly. All right, Sam, send us to break. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. All right, let's play some winners and losers of the weekend. Bob, who won this weekend? Well... I'm going to dovetail off of my, uh, we go back to Friday, our uh, best and worst of the week. One of my worst of the weeks turns into one of my winners. That's Rick Pitino. It's easier to reel in a meltdown like he had last week after St. John's and the Red Storm upsets number 15 Creighton. So, you know, now, you know, they interviewed him afterwards. Uh, Steve Lapis interviewed him and, he said, no, you know, Patino totally like, hey, I love these guys. This is the most together team I've ever had, was what he said. And uh, he goes, but we're just not playing well. So I had to get their attention. And, hey, look, it worked. I mean, that was kind of the vibe while he was sporting that all-white suit. Did you see that? He, had a, he broke it back out. Though. That, that's what I think of him coaching in. I mean, that was yeah. like, I feel like what he wore all the time at Louisville. So he yeah. broke it out, his Sunday best. Yes, all-white. And, uh, but, yeah, you know, now he can argue, hey, it worked. I got my guy's attention. We've won two in a row. We upset the number 15 team in the country. Um, so I give him a winner. Uh, NASCAR, third closest finish ever. I'm not a NASCAR fan, but I saw the finish of this, and this is what NASCAR needs. It was uh, three cars all aligned side by side. Daniel Suarez, Ryan Blaney, Kyle Busch. Suarez was claimed the winner. By some crazy, like one seven hundred, like a seven hundredth of a second or something, it was absurd. But considering what happened last week with Daytona, well, it wasn't even last week; it was last Monday, where they uh, got a lot of criticism for how they finished under a yellow. Um, they, they needed a finish like this, so that was good for them. My third one is uh, Cam Newton, who. <laughs> Um, I don't know. You could argue him getting in a fight. You know, maybe that's a loser. But he he took on everybody, man. If you see this video, he's like throwing people down. Plus, he looks like a freaking wizard. He never loses his hat. Yeah, he's got that hat on with his hair popped out at the top. And it looked like I was watching something like, you know, UFC slash Harry Potter vibe going on. It was crazy. But uh, he he kicked ass. I don't know what goes through someone's mind when they – even as a crew decided, we're going to go fight this six foot five former professional athlete who hit people for a living. 
Like, did they never see the footage of Cam Newton fighting his own teammates at practice and the look of joy on his face when he is ripping Josh Norman's helmet off and just throwing him around? Like, Cam Newton, Shannon Sharp put it the best. He just said, sometimes people forget that, like, these athletes are not normal people. He's like, and Cam Newton had to remind people that he's not a normal person. <laughs> he's a six foot five monster. Like, and, and like, I felt bad for him in the sense of like, it seems like he's trying to do something positive. Like he's putting on the seven, seven versus seven, like football tournament. And like, you know, trying to let some guys showcase talents and, you know, recruiting and get to the next level and all those things. It does seem like he's trying to do somewhat, you know, something to help the community. This happened to him a couple of years ago, too. Do you remember he was doing something at the camp and, like, some players were heckling him? There was somebody, like, heckling him about like, oh, his yeah, throwing yeah, ability yeah. And, yeah. and, like, being really disrespectful yeah. to him? Yes. And I just feel like if I'm Cam Newton, I'm like, what, why am I wasting my time with this trying to help people? I got players making fun of me. I got, I got other people trying to beat my ass. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, man, when I watch that video, because the video is kind of it's, – it's kind of far away, but – I, it, I swear to God, I felt like it was like watching somebody, a wizard fighting warlocks or something. It looked like he might have even had like, it looked like a cape or something. It was weird. Just the whole look of that whole thing. Well, my friend told me, and and I think it's right. He's like, when I saw the video, I thought he was trying to break up a fight of like some kids at his camp. Like that's almost how it looks. It's like there's other people fighting and Cam's trying to break it up. But then you realize, no, it's just three people trying to beat up Cam Newton. He's just slinging them around as if they're children. They're not children, but he is just throwing them around. I can't get enough of it. I'm watching it again, man. And it's 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 all about the hat. That's what's making the hat, me laugh. The hat makes it funny. I am just impressed. But even like even then, it's not like Cam Newton's throwing punches. Like he was kind of gracious to these three people that were trying to jump him because he's really just slinging them around, waiting for people to break it up. It's not like he's out there throwing haymakers trying to end people's day you know he could have knocked a couple people out i'm imagining but you know cam newton is a winner that was your number one winner of the weekend yeah but maybe patino maybe patino i hate okay. to say it yeah cam newton was on my list i have actually have two of the same three as you because i do think those were the winners of the weekend nascar my number three winner it was a cool moment it's a cool picture it's cool social media clips it'll have a little energy it's not gonna make me come back and watch not after what happened to, to Denny Hamlin at Pocono a couple years ago. I'll never watch again NASCAR. <laughs> but it was a cool little social media clip. And for the day, Atlanta Speedway and NASCAR made you feel something again. So that's good for NASCAR in general to make people feel something. Number two, I went with Cam Newton. Just for the reasons we already mentioned. Anytime you not only survive a three-on-one beatdown, but actually end up coming out looking cool in it. And actually get, you know getting the best of those three. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. But I do worry about, like, Cam going back out in Atlanta, like, at these tournaments because you embarrass three people like that. I don't know what their background is. I don't know if they got any family members that are going to come and try to make, prove a point to Cam Newton. I don't know. If I'm Cam Newton, maybe lay low. Doesn't seem worth it. These kids don't appreciate what you're doing. Number one, though, and I don't think it's biased. I think you can make the case that the biggest winner of the weekend was the Tennessee Volunteers. I don't think it's biased. Typically, I don't have Tennessee stuff on here because I'm like, hey, yeah, you had a good weekend in Knoxville, but nationally it didn't register. I don't think that's the case this time. I think the Tennessee Volunteers were the biggest winners of the weekend, counting Friday, of course, as the weekend. You get the the, the judge ruling in your favor in terms of your lawsuit against the NCAA. You won that so far. It's not over yet, but 
I think I saw 85% of the time when, when an initial ruling like this happens, 85% of the time that that person is then successful in court. I want to say maybe it was 86 and 14, but either way, 85%, close enough. And then in basketball, you're the number one team in the SEC. You had all the results you needed. And in baseball, I know you didn't have to do anything against Albany. They suck. But your your ops all took some embarrassing losses. Stony Brook beat LSU this weekend 5-2. to two. Vanderbilt blows a game against Gonzaga. South Carolina, you know, beat by Belmont. Arkansas loses to Oklahoma State. So some of the teams you look at as your ops, as your rivals, they all took L's this weekend. Now the Arkansas one against Oklahoma State, not that embarrassing. It was in extras, 2-1, to one, their pitching staff. Struck out a whole bunch of people in that game, but you still lost, all right? So you're getting included, Arkansas, because I don't like you. But I thought Tennessee had the best weekend of really anybody. Sam, anybody we missed? Yeah, I got a couple. Um, mentioned in Tennessee there too, John. Girl on our softball team, Carlin Pickens, she threw a perfect game. She did. I did see that Tennessee got dominated, though, by Cal State Fullerton, though. Yeah, so I they pl- threw, played a doubleheader in that game, I think. Yeah, I couldn't include them in the winter because they kind of, kind of got beat down. I mean, I know yeah. Cal State Fullerton – probably has a pretty good softball team yeah um that's her for the perfect game her second one of her career i believe yeah Mm -hmm. second of her career um my first winner it was uh jake knapp who just won uh the pga tour mexico open yesterday uh nine months ago ran out of money trying to qualify for the pga tour worked as a bouncer at a nightclub for a couple years now he's won a million million and a half just about got him into the masters that's cool. I love when you get those like life changing stories, kind of like. How that. many times do you think you tried to call Liv? Like, come on, please. <laughs> I'll be your just, bouncer. <laughs> just give me a hundred thousand dollars. I'll sign the contract. I like blood money, please. I'll be your bouncer. Yeah. Uh, my second winner. Uh, yeah, John, you mentioned it. It's uh, Arkansas's Arkansas baseball ace Hagen Smith struck out seventeen batters in six innings of work. Yeah, it's pretty stout. Fifteen pretty strikeouts stout. in five innings. They didn't. Oregon State didn't record an out on the ground for the first five innings of the game. Yeah, yeah. crazy. I was gonna say there only eighteen outs possible in in six innings, and he had seventeen of them struck out. So that's pretty good. Yeah. And then yeah, Shane Gillis probably deserves a shout out. Too. Yeah, that was gonna be my other one. Saturday Night Live at least deserves a mention. The opening monologue was a little clunky. It was a little <laughs> awkward. I cringed a little bit watching it, but. Saturday Night Live got people watching and talking, and I thought Shane Gillis rebounded pretty well after the opening monologue, and I thought the skits were pretty funny. He comes out looking pretty good. And at the very least, like, he got to host the show that fired him, so that had to feel pretty good from a, a career standpoint. Mm-hmm. All right, Bob, who lost this weekend? Well, I had Shane Gillis on my list. And oh. I, well, just from the standpoint, it was the monologue. Um, monologue wasn't great. The monologue was bad, and <clears throat> he – to me just restoked the fire on some stuff that got him fired from SNL in the first place and I don't know what the point was of bringing up he just didn't need to bring up SNL he, you know he got cut loose there four years ago it wasn't like it just happened last year see I, I kind of disagree on that just because I think it was a part of the story and I think for him like if I'm doing SNL like a yeah it's an honor you know anybody that's anybody in terms of comedy and and really just pop culture has gotten a chance to host that. So you get to kind of stamp yourself. But also, you get fired from somewhere and you get to come back and host it. You do feel like you succeeded. You, right. you know, you probably do feel like 
the lowest point of your life, which is probably losing your dream job, you know, now you're back at that place and they've, they've asked you to come back. Yeah, I guess my point is, too, and he had a great show overall. I thought the show itself was good, but um, the very thing that he got cut loose for then, he kind of, it was kind of a flex like, okay, I'm back, and this is, you know, the same stuff that it's, got me out of here. Well, it's like, what, don't Google it. Yeah. Don't Google it. You don't need to look it up. But, like, also, I think that's him staying authentic to himself a little bit of saying, like, hey, you know, I, A, I survived the, the quote-unquote cancellation, but B, like, I'm going to kind of be myself. And his monologue where he's talking about his Down syndrome family, like, to a lot of Americans probably like, ugh, ah. But yeah. to him, that's, that's his type of comedy, so he was authentic in that regard, so – that's kind of why I made him a winner. It yeah. was just he kind of stayed true, and it it was cringy, but <laughs> it was himself. Yeah, but he had some great skits after that. We were talking about those in the break. Um, so I brought that one up because of the through line talking about him and the winners. Uh, my top one was Wake Forest, and we'll talk probably a little more about college basketball a little later in the show. But after you know, we know the story by now—the whole court storming thing after beating number eight Duke. But it was the second time in two seasons that they've beaten Duke, and it, there's all sorts of stories now about how you know. Again, they were there were fans like hitting the floor. I think before the clock hit zero, and um, you know somebody on social media posted, you know, Duke loses their seven footer by you know getting plowed by a French student at a. Yeah, Wake Forest is a, a very esteemed university too, you know, and it's just it's just such an odd thing to see all this happening. And are they the ones that? Well, it's not Wake Forest is the ones that may create the end of court storming. It's because it's happening to a Duke team and a Duke player that would probably influence this more. But I felt like it just wasn't, you know, not shame on Wake Forest, but it just wasn't a good look for them. Um, and then my third one. It's kind of I've kind I'm kind of torn. I've got two. One was a Rod. Did you see? <laughs> I saw I saw I saw a little bit of a video where he was basically, "Hey guys, I'm just tan." I yeah, just well, tan, but yeah. I, didn't, I didn't actually watch it. Yeah, they start started posting photos of him on social media, calling it the reverse Sammy Sosa. Saying you know, he's getting darker as he gets older. Yeah, getting darker as he gets older. And so a Rod then went out, and I I don't know maybe. Some people might say he needed to do it, but then he went out and dignified it by saying, no, man, I was on vacation, and I'm dark-complected, and, I mean, it was just too much, man. It's like, just let it go. Just You're paying too much attention to trolls, basically. Um, something we could all take some advice on right there, right? We all, we all can get sensitive about that stuff, but I just felt like someone at his level, he doesn't need to do that, man. Nobody – he just doesn't need to. And then the last one I saw was DJ Khaled. Sorry, did you see that? Just him getting carried? <laughs> he was getting carried from his... Uh, from, he went against Jordan Sandy, man. From his Rolls Royce to the stage. Uh, the video of it's hilarious, but it's like, good Lord, man. What is, what is happening? You sure us? you didn't mean to include him on winners? Because getting carried from your car, from your Rolls Royce to, <laughs> to, your, to your stage is kind of a flex. The losers are the security guys that have to carry That's a grown man. That's what I was going to say. It's a, it's, it, it is not a great look. It just really underscores again he is enormous, you know, because it doesn't look comfortable for those guys carrying him. But, uh, yeah, those are my losers. All right, my losers of the weekend. Uh, number three, I had a couple options here. I ended up going with Madam Webb. Just uh, another abysmal weekend in the box office for them. 
They only gross six million dollars domestically and ten million dollars internationally. It's still uh, not even caught up to Morbius's opening weekend. It, it's far behind it. It, it. It's going to get labeled as the worst superhero movie of all time, or at least the biggest flop of all time. But it might be a watershed moment for superhero movies and makes them kind of fix things. But I thought Madam Web. Just another abysmal weekend for them. Only, I think, of what, a 17% score on Rotten Tomatoes? No, 13% score on Rotten Tomatoes. Another embarrassing weekend for them. Number two, the second biggest losers of the weekend for me. I went with Eric Bieniemy. You got a job? Okay, but, like, you're going to UCLA to do what? Man, what a fall from grace. You, you were everyone's – you were everyone's martyr – a couple years ago. How is Eric Bieniemy not getting a, a head coaching job? This is racism. They're not giving him the head coaching job because he's black. And the NFL is even like, hey, we got to reevaluate this Rooney rule thing because if someone like Eric Bieniemy can't get a job, something's gone wrong. Now, of course, you've had some black coaches get hired and, and do good jobs. Shout out to D'Amico Ryans. Meanwhile, Eric Bieniemy has has fallen from grace from coach and waiting, or or I guess maybe not coach and waiting, but coaching hot shots, waiting on a chance. To he goes to Washington. Now he's gone back to college. Meanwhile, the Chiefs have won two Super Bowls without him. Eric Bieniemy, a loser of the weekend. Number one, though, I thought the college media nerds biggest loser of the weekend. The college football media nerds who thought that Tennessee was going to get punished, who are now crying about how it's not fair that Tennessee is doing this and how we shouldn't celebrate the NCAA losing. To even the college media nerds, Bob, who are complaining about the court storming, wanting to end it. Think about Kyle Filipowski. Oh, no, he fell down after he tried to push somebody. He lost his balance. He pushed the person too hard, which made him stumble. I thought they were the biggest losers of the weekend. Sam, anybody we missed? Um, <clears throat> I always like to make fun of the New York Mets, so this may be a little bit more specific. But Kode Singa, uh, he's the Mets' number one pitcher. He gets shut down for three weeks. So I just love when the Mets they, – they have a rotating door of injuries, and it never ends. Off season, middle of the season, whenever. Spring training, now it's starting to happen. Good to see uh, the Mets run into their typical problems. Um, unfortunately I had the lady Vols on my losers, um, had an opportunity to get a big win against LSU yesterday, just down three going into the fourth quarter, lose by 15. They're so bad. Yeah. They're so bad. I, I actually watched the second half of that game. Yeah. Me too. They are so bad. Me too. Their offense is terrible. Their players don't execute. They're bad. They're bad. They're bad. That's the worst. That's the worst I've ever seen them look. Actually, I think. But you're right, Sam. And I saw a little of the second half too. They had it to a four point game, like yeah. late in the third quarter. I mean, they were in range, but then they can't. They just they don't have it. That's it's it's hard to watch. And Haley Van Liff was busting their ass in the fourth quarter. <laughs> yeah, and the social media is just getting worse and worse. I mean, people are just they've had it. You know, from the fan base perspective. So it's going to be tough. I forgot. Tennessee in danger of missing their first tournament ever. Oof. Yeah. I forgot one winner Michigan basketball. 
one in twenty on the year against the spread. <laughs> they covered for the first time all year. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That can't be right. Oh, in nineteen against the spread. That can't women's bat the women's team or the men's team. That can't be right for the men's team. I I, I saw this on Action Network tweeted it. Yeah, that, they're, they're terrible. They know that three days ago, Action Network they said Michigan is zero and eighteen against the spread in their straight uh in their losses this year. Oh, in losses. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna yeah, say because they beat yeah, they beat yeah. uh who was it? They beat Wisconsin as underdogs. Okay. So as in when their they, losses. Okay. Yeah. So when they lose, they lose Still, ugly. That's, that's okay. terrible, though. Okay, okay. Well, that makes more <laughs> sense. So I was like, there's no way they haven't covered one spread. How did I miss this, too? I just – Kyle Filipowski now is saying he was targeted. Like – He really, pushed the person. Yeah, do you really think the, the Wake Forest fans were like, get, go get him? Get this you know? guy. Yeah. That's main character syndrome. Yeah. That's what, that's what that is, main character syndrome. Yeah. He pushed the person and fell down. <laughs> I don't even think he rolled his ankle. If he did roll his ankles, because he like pushed the person too hard, like he gave a two-arm shove, that person was going to run right in front of him and not hit him. And he pushed it, and now we're going to ban court storming to make him feel better. I don't know. It seems a little odd to me. Do you it, think we ban court storming? Do you think that is a, a thing that happens? I think it would suck if they did, just because it's it is one of the the cool novelties about college basketball somebody had a suggestion and they said it came from a college coach that was unnamed but put a 30 second shot clock on at the end of all games so you get a chance for you know you got heightened security around the court but you know have your court storm but let the other team get off let the coaches shake hands 30 seconds is not that long honestly um okay I thought it's not a bad idea. It, it kind of removes the emotion from it, I think. Yeah, the spontaneity of it. Yeah. But again, yes, uh, or not yesterday, Saturday's version of it was not good. It was like the Wake fans were starting to get on the floor, I think, even before the, the buzzer. So, I don't know. I, uh, I don't know. I, I, th- I, think, I think it stays, but we'll see. 